As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. We are back with another Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And uh, I'll tell you what, we are not doing one of those... Hey, did they record this show like three weeks ago? Year in review? What's the? Are they kind of speaking in generalities? Nope. This is, uh, tell you what, it's uh, Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you on this, the 29th of December. In fact, I feel like, Sean, we should have one of those things where we like, you you, you know, the uh, hold up today's newspaper yeah, to prove that's that exactly you're... the vibe I'm getting from yeah. this. Yeah. We're, gonna We're hitting go it deep. really hard. We're hitting all of the news this week of which there is. Nothing happened this week, but we're here to talk about it. We are here because we are contractually obliged to uh, provide new content every Thursday. uh, (laughs) That's exactly it. That's why we're here. Uh, But look, there were games last night, Wednesday night, like even just to prove, uh, we can tell you the Ducks, they beat the Golden Knights in a shootout three to two. So yeah, that's right. This is a fresh episode. You know this is is live because we would not have pre-recorded that possibility. No, three to two. And, and, you know, the other thing they they did, uh, you know, we could have recorded this early. We could have, like, done it the night before. But then we would risk 
the athletic getting fined uh, for for having a start early. And yeah. can't do that. Can't do no. that over the holidays. No, clearly. See, this is the perfect How's segue. How's that for a segue? Ah, it's A plus segue. Radio uh, guy here thinks he's the only one who can do a segue. Yeah. There you go. No, no, that was that was elite because uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, if our listeners didn't see this story, because look, a lot of people kind of shut their phones off or whatever for uh, the holidays. You may not have seen this. Uh, so the Maple Leafs played in St. Louis on December the 27th when um, the NHL schedule resumed on, on Tuesday night. But the Leafs flew out on Boxing Day, which is the 26th late at night. That was in direct violation of the CBA, which basically says, look, teams cannot do anything December, no team-related activities December 24th, 25th, 26th. Leafs said the hell with it. We're flying to St. Louis night before. We don't want to fly in the day off. We're flying in the night before they get a $100,000 fine. But here's the thing. They won the game. And Mm -hmm. Um, what I find interesting is look at look at the the way some of those games played out on Tuesday. And I'll use a great example. The Colorado Avalanche went to Arizona and lost, and they had to fly their day off. Now I'm wondering if you're the Maple Leafs. I mean, 100K really is a drop in the bucket. I mean, would you not pay like hundred thousand dollars for a win? It's probably worth it, is it? Right? For, Absolutely. For a team like Toronto. One hundred percent. This is a hundred thousand dollars for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is is a slap on the wrist, first and foremost. So I, you know, I I I know there have been a few people say, "Oh, I can't." You know, why, why is the NHL making a big deal of this? It it's it's a very very small fine, and yeah, it's it. Look, it's a weird situation because the CBA says you can't do anything twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, and yet the NHL schedules games on the twenty seventh, and and. Obviously, it goes without saying, every game has a road team. So half the teams in action that night have to travel the day of the game, which is not something NHL teams typically do. They like to fly out the night before, get in. Even if you get in late, get in, get asleep in a hotel room, um, and then get up and, and do your usual routine. And so the Leafs, apparently, they flew out at like 1030 at night. If they had waited until midnight, they would have been okay. Um, but they, uh, they, they waited, uh, they, they waited as long as I guess they felt appropriate. And then, uh, they hopped everyone on, uh, we're told that, you know, the, the players, the players didn't mind, but you know what? It's in the CBA. You, you, it's, it's perfectly valid to say, look, man, the CBA says it's a day off. It's a day off. You can't turn around and, um, and just say, well, you know, they didn't, they didn't mind. Um, I, I, the Leafs broke the rule. It's it's cut and dried. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they get a little slap on the wrist fine. They won the game, as you point out. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone's probably pretty okay with how this played out. But do you, okay, do you think the Leafs, like, they tried to, I guess, I don't know, pun intended here, fly under the radar? Like, do you think the <laughs> NHL found out through, like, a flight tracker or did they just straight up say, look, we're flying out at 1030, hit us up with the fine? Like, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, they must have known. They, they must have known that this is going to be in, in violation and, uh, and, and they, they rolled with it. Or, or maybe, I, I, I can't imagine they thought they'd get away with it. Maybe, I don't know, we're not supposed to be able to have flight coordinates on Twitter anymore. Maybe they figured that had 
that had <laughs> changed right. and they could they could sneak in that way. But no, I, I don't imagine. I mean, there are literally Twitter accounts that do nothing but monitor uh, sports teams' flights and uh, travel. I can't imagine that uh, uh, the Leafs really thought they were going to get away with this. Whether they thought it was it was going to be a fine or, or what the amount would be, I don't know. But um, I think I think uh, you know the, the the CBA seems the CBA can be a pretty confusing document on a lot of things. Seems pretty clear on this one. So uh, you know you you pay your money and you take your chances. And the Leafs paid their money. And it it worked out with the win. So the other thing I wonder is like, does the NHL need to be a little bit more flexible on this one? And I say this because if you depending on where you live in North America, um, the twenty third, twenty fourth, and twenty fifth of December were absolute logistical nightmares for travel. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's something to be said for maybe the Maple Leafs are like, listen, I this weather is so unpredictable. We cannot roll the dice. And what if we're sitting on the tarmac for an extra few uh, minutes, hour, whatever, on the day of the game because we got a de-ice or something? Like, like, just let's get there. Like, could the league not look at that and say, wow, this is one of the craziest travel stretches we've ever seen in North America around the holiday? Cut them a break here. Cut them a break. Like, you, you know I what s- I mean? Like, you like who has a problem with, like, who, what, like, is it a competitive advantage, really, that they're... They're leaving then, at 10.30 p.m.? They're leaving but at then where p.m.? does it end, right? When you have – it's it's in the document. This yeah, was oh, negotiated with the players. And, you know, th- this is in, in this is Gary Bettman's NHL. We can talk all we want about it. it's a partnership. It's not. Absolutely everything is a battle. If, you know, the players went to the league and said, we want this time off, we want this time with our families, we want this time to – um, you know, we, because I, geez, they're, they're teams would have guys bag skating on Christmas morning. If they could, you got to put it in the document that says, this is, this is a, we've got this time off. Um, and as soon as you allow a team to say, yeah, but you know, the weather, yeah, but this or that, uh, and, and start squeezing on that, then, um, you've, you've, you've opened the floodgates. So I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm a Leafs fan, but on this one, I'm, I'm pro worker, Screw management. Get the get them get them their time off that they deserve. And if uh, um, you know management wants to break the rules, then let them pay. But but what hey, let me ask play- you this. By, by the way, yeah. speaking of of the Leafs getting fined, did you see the Sheldon Keith twenty five k fine? Yeah. I liked that. That to me was was maybe even more more interesting. Even though it's not you know it's not unusual to see a coach get fined. But did you see the circumstances around it, what the call was and who the official was and, and how that all added up? Well, no, okay. So I, I don't know the back, like, I don't know, understand the back. Is there a backstory here? There is a backstory, okay. which, is, well, which is what makes enlight- this interesting. Okay, so enlighten me because I saw the $25,000 fine for what he did in St. Louis on, on Tuesday. So he, he, got, he got a fine for twenty five and for getting a little too loud and aggressive with the refs which is yeah. not you know if you're if you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan this is not a unique uh this is not a new rule that you're learning about they're, they're basically the coaches can only go so far did not get I don't believe a uh a bench minor or anything during the game um but got uh, got a fine afterwards but what is interesting is two things first of all the call that he was that he was mad about was it was a non-call and it was on a goal that was scored against the Maple Leafs and basically the Blues got away with a little bit of a pick play uh, on one of the Leafs defenders intentionally you know I sent somebody got in his way picked them off 
didn't really lead directly to the goal. I mean, there was a few seconds in between the player was able to get back in and everything. Um, so it, it was the sort of thing where, you know, if you're just looking at it, you might be going like, yeah, you know, they could have called that, but why, why would that, why would that set him off, uh, as, as much as it did? Um, the other thing to know is the referee who didn't call it was Wes McCauley, Uh-oh. our old, our old pal, Wes McCauley. Well, that's if you think play about from the playoffs, Wes McCauley was also one of the two referees in game seven against Tampa when the Toronto Maple Leafs had a goal taken off the board in a game seven on home ice when it was caught, when the pick play was called. Now, I'm not sure that Wes McCauley was actually the referee who called the pick play in game seven, but um, he was there, but he was one of the two guys. And it, and it was a very frustrating call for Leaf fans because I actually, I think Wes McCauley was, was actually the ref deep in the zone and he didn't call it. And it was the ref way back at center ice who, who called it. And again, it takes a goal off the board. Um, in the game seven, it was one, nothing at the time. That would have been the tying goal for the Leafs. Um, changed, changes the whole, uh, whole, uh, flow of the game. That's I'm, I'm positive. Now we didn't, I, I don't think Sheldon Keith has, has commented on what he was mad about or, or anything like this, but you put the two and two together. This to me is Sheldon Keith with a little bit of payback in his back pocket going, oh, now we're not calling pick plays. Now we're not calling interference yeah. because the, the frustration for the Leafs in that game seven call was it, it was clearly a penalty by the letter, letter of the rule book. It was a very obvious pick play. But that's just not a call that you see very often. That That is the sort of thing refs tend to let that go and to, to call it suddenly in a game seven when we know very often there, there's uh, there's very little gets called. Uh, was was frustrating for the Leafs, and I think this is Sheldon Keefe. I'm I be I would I would bet anything on it. This is him going off on Wes McCauley, going, "Oh, now we're letting that go again." I thought we were calling. I thought we had to call that no matter what, no matter the situation, and and letting off some of that frustration. And I'll say this: as a Leaf fan, I don't mind it. Twenty five thousand dollars may be well spent uh, because look, the the end of that series against the Lightning, you had the you had the the, the pick play that got called took a goal off the board. In game six in Tampa with the Leafs winning, they get uh, called for a five-on-three power play against the Tampa, allows Tampa to tie the game on a phantom high stick where there was a you know a high stick that wasn't a high stick. They had snap back and all that, but it wasn't called. At the time, they didn't make a big deal out of the officiating, and rightfully so, because nobody would have wanted to hear it. If, if they had come out of game six crying about the refereeing, everybody would have said, this is it. Oh, they're already they're already making their excuses. If they'd done it right. after game seven, everybody would have said loser mentality. Nobody wanted to hear it from the Leafs at the time. But now that a little water's under the bridge, I you know, if Sheldon Keefe wants to find a way to remind some of these officials, especially the guy, the West McCauley's who are gonna be doing the big, you know, game sevens next time around, say, hey, just as a reminder, we got screwed hard last time, and uh, I'm gonna keep reminding you of it. You know what? You work the refs a little bit. Maybe that does buy you a call, uh, a crucial one at uh, at some point in the game seven that we all know is coming for the Leafs in the next round. Because because <laughs> uh, you know hockey gods forbid that they get through a playoff series without going to a do or die game. I don't mind it. You know that's that's not bad for uh, uh, that might be one of the better uh, twenty five thousand dollar checks Sheldon Keefe's ever written. I'm surprised there's not a uh, kind of a, a crowdsourcing from Leafs fans to try to pay the. Pass the hat around, yeah. And, uh, exactly. And, you know, 
give the give the money to charity or something. But yeah, Leafs win that game in St. Louis. A great great uh, Willie Nylander overtime winner uh, on that one. And and we talked about this. Look, the the league takes a pause. 24, 25, 26 in, in, um, in, in around Christmas time. They don't take a pause on New Year's Eve. And I, I want to ask you this because as I looked ahead to the schedule, uh, Sean, and I saw uh, on December 31st, so on Sunday, or sorry, Saturday of this week, there's 12 games. That's a pretty busy schedule in the NHL. Here's what's funny. Half the games are matinee. Half the games are night games. Half the teams are playing New Year's Eve. They're like, we're going to do the one o'clock or, you know, local time start or the, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. one o'clock, you know, noon, whatever. Uh, you know, a couple teams like Washington's doing a four o'clock game. And then you've got teams like Detroit and I think Calgary, Edmonton, they're all playing nighttime games. And I'm wondering from a, from a viewer's perspective, whether you're going to attend the game as a spectator buying a ticket or you're at home. Do you not think that the matinee works better on New Year's Eve? Like, wouldn't you rather your favorite <laughs> you know, team is playing in the afternoon than at night? Or if, see, if you, you were asking, you, see, if you were asking young Sean, I would have been like, yeah, you got to get the game in the afternoon, man. I'm not <laughs> yeah. watching hockey. Night. Old Sean is like, you know what? I could that that might be a decent way to spend my uh, spend my <laughs> New Year's Eve is uh, sitting in the in the easy chair watching some hockey, yelling, I, yelling look, at the TV. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've got the Christmas break. There's typically not a ton going on on what I would normally say January 1st, a winter classic day, right? The, the league tends to clear yeah. that off. Uh, I, I mean, there's only so many days that I think you can take off without, uh, you know, you, you got to make that time up somewhere else and you end up scrunching up the schedule down the line. So I don't mind having the the New Year's Eve action. I think it's up to the teams. I think there's probably some teams going, yeah, you know what? It's a good night for us. Uh, you know, people, it's, it's especially this year it being a Saturday night, uh, you know, that's, that's a good night in a lot of markets. They probably want to have that game. It's probably some other teams that have said, yeah, you know, we've tried it in the past and we didn't really, didn't really do all that well, but it, you know, especially for those markets where you've got the, the rink is, is downtown or where it's close to, you know, some of the other action, um, you know, you probably have a pretty good, uh, pretty good night as far as selling tickets. And then the game's going to wrap up around 10, 10 30 and everybody spills out and you go do something fun. Wouldn't work probably in Ottawa because you'd still be stuck in the parking lot for, uh, when, the, right when new year's hits, when new year's, everybody's yeah. honking the horns, but you can't tell if it's new year's or just a typical exit plan for, uh, <laughs> sense fans try to get home. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't mind it. I, I've, I've never been to a game. On New Year's Eve, I don't think. Uh, maybe I did when I was a kid. Because, you know, that's the other thing. This is a good time of year for a lot of teams because this is where people have got the hockey tickets for for the stocking stuff or, you know, for yeah. the, the, their gift over the holidays. And, you know, maybe that that New Year's game is a good one to go to. I don't – now that I'm saying that, maybe I, – I may have been to a game, uh, maybe a New Year's Eve game when I was, uh, when I was a kid. Um, but uh, certainly never bought tickets – on my own as an adult to go, to go see one, but uh, I, I, in the right market, I could see that being a pretty cool night out. Yeah, you know what? I, I think I went to one New Year's Eve game uh, as a kid, and it was Vancouver at home to LA in like the early '90s, and I and I feel like it was a five o'clock local time start, uh, mm-hmm. not eight o'clock. I think I think it was a five o'clock. Uh, but you guys in Vancouver, you guys are used to that, right? You, you having your your games start early and you're very chill about it. You don't mind. Oh yeah. Nobody, yeah. nobody ever complains yeah. uh, in Vancouver. 
Um, but look, you, you mentioned the fact that, look, everyone kind of looks at July, um, January 1st, Winter Classic uh, Day, and that, you know, that that's kind of like the feature game. It's the afternoon game. And this year, if people don't know, it's at Fenway. Again, it's Red Sox, oh, Red Sox, home of the Red Sox. It's the Bruins and the Penguins. Reason why I have Red Sox top of my brain is the league announced yesterday, Sean. So I think it was Wednesday that they announced this, that they got a, a unique way of opening the Winter Classic on, on, on Sunday. And that is going to be Bobby Orr is going to be, quote unquote, throwing out the first puck. Um, there's going to be kind of, they're calling it the ice diamond. So in between where the rink is on the field at Fenway and the green monster, there's going to be like this, they're calling it a, an auxiliary rink and it's shaped like a diamond. And this is where Bobby Orr will throw out the first puck. I, it seems to me like that maybe Jason Veritek, the longtime uh, Red Sox catcher, will be the guy, I think he's going to be the one accepting the throw. Like, how do we feel about this? Like, you know, sometimes we, we, we rag on the NHL for just, you know, doing the same old, same old. I don't think they've ever done this at, at, at any of these stadium games. How do we feel about Bobby Orr throwing out sure. the first puck? Yeah, I, I mean, try try something new, especially with, uh, man, I do you do you feel like this Winter Classic is getting any Stale? hype? Any? No. I mean, it, yeah. The, the, the this is I, I will tell you, and this is this is this is a reflection on me more than. Uh, more than on the uh, the NHL and and maybe just where I'm at as a fan. I, I knew the game was at Fenway, and I mean I I re, I don't love the fact that we're already repeating venues. Um, you know that this is the second time the game's been at Fenway. Um, but it, the the other day on we we do a thing uh, in the Slack channel for for the athletic writers where you know we 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 just uh, we make our picks. For for big games and they're they're giving the Winter Classic that treatment, and they said uh, you know just all you got to do is just just uh, uh, click uh, just put whatever logo of the team you you think is going to win. Just go into your little emojis and pick the logo. And and I had seen there were already a couple people that voted for the Bruins, and that was it. Those are the only votes. And I literally had to sit there and go, who the hell are the Bruins playing in the Winter Classic that is like two days away? And I had to sit and really think about it. And then I was I was going down the list and I was like, well, it's, it's not Chicago. It's not, I don't think it's Washington. And then, of course, when I got to Pittsburgh, I thought, yeah, because of the ownership, that's that's why it all fits together with them. But it the, took the Fenway, me yeah. a while to even figure out who's playing. So as far as Bobby Orr, yeah, great. Uh, let, let's do something a little different. Let's let's mix it up a bit. I, I don't mind that. I hope he's practicing, though. Have you ever tried to throw a puck? It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to throw, man. Like, the, the, and there is, uh, you know, you, you, it can get away from you. You, you, you if he tries to gun it, uh, good luck to the catcher, because man, you think it's tough catching a, a Pedro slider. Wait until you see a puck that's uh, thrown at a forty-five degree angle, man. That thing will, that thing will curve all over the place. Okay, but here's what's interesting. Also, part of this, uh, you know, first puck throw, I mentioned Jason Veritek, Tim Wakefield. Is going to be Ooh, part of this. You want to okay. talk, talk about the term knuckle puck? Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of want. I think I. I think we need to see Tim Wakefield throw a knuckle puck, don't we? I would like to see that. Yeah. Yes. I'm actually. I'm a little bit more interested in that than uh, than, than, uh, than seeing than seeing Bobby Orr. Um, 
But yeah, that that would be a good one. Okay, now I'm trying to think. Could you could you do it with a puck? I think so, right? Like, I mean, Tim, like, if anybody can do it, he's love, the guy. They got the right guy didn't, to do it. Didn't you still love like when, when and Wakefield first broke in with Pittsburgh in the early '90s, and I think that's when like, I think CBS was doing the MLB games back then, and mm. they had it was like right in the very beginning of like the super slow motion yep. camera, and Wakefield's. Like you would just see no rotation of the. It was fascinating. Wakefield was the first guy I remember that because yeah. you know obviously there was the the, the Necro brothers and other knuckleballers uh, before then. But you're right, we didn't have the super slow mo. So you just see right. like it, would, it looked frustrating, right? Like your team would be facing Phil Necro, and you'd be like, "This dude's throwing it half speed. How come? How come he's making the? How come the batters can't hit it? Uh, it looks like I could hit that." And then it wasn't until you finally got that view of it, and you're just like. Oh, okay. I get it now. So, yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated to see how this thing how, how this thing plays out because, uh, yeah, it, it, look, it, it might be something totally different, and, and like you said, uh, this thing might be getting a bit stale. So let's let's try to. do But some, it's 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 fun, fun for here. the fans in the local market. It, it's a lot like the All Star Game at this point, unfortunately, um, because the All Star Game, the game itself is 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 awful. The, you know, everything they've tried to make it work better. It just, it, it just never seems to click. But anytime somebody like me starts complaining about the all-star game, or maybe even says, Hey, do we even need to do this? It's, it's like, Hey, the, the fans in the local market, love it. The kids who get to go, they love it. It's going to be a big memory for them. Same with the winter classic. You know what? If you're, if you're going and you've never been to an outdoor game, you'll have a great time. Uh, you're not gonna be able to see the game. Uh, you know, hate to hate to break it to you. It's, it's going to be. It's it's not going to be an entertaining event to watch as far no. as watching a hockey game. But everything else that goes around it, and you know that I'm sure we'll get some great views of Fenway, even though we've seen it before. That you know they'll they'll make sure it looks real good. Hopefully, the weather cooperates and all that stuff. It's it's neat, um, and it's it's great for the fans. But the uh, you know the rest of us uh, in in other markets, uh, I I I think the NHL is. Uh, Starting to see some diminishing returns on this, unfortunately, because this is, you talk about the NHL being creative. This, the outdoor games is the one thing in the last decades that you could truly point to and say that was the NHL being truly creative, not following some other league, not copying something that somebody else was, was doing. I know there had been the, you know, the, some of the college outdoor games and that, but th- this was the NHL leading the way on, on doing something really cool with venues and um, unfortunately they, they went to the well a little too often a few years in there. And I, and I think that, uh, diminished it. And, um, I don't know, Ho- hopefully we can get back to doing unique, uh, unique venues next. I, I, I know they wanted to do this for the, with the ownership and, and everything with Pittsburgh and Boston, but, uh, let's, let's get back to doing it in cool places we haven't been to. You know, th- this week between Christmas and new year, a lot of the focus for hockey fans is, not just on the NHL, but on the World Junior uh, Hockey Championships taking place in Halifax. And Canada, they bounce back. They they, they just dust the Germans. Uh, Seven-point game for Connor Bedard. We'll get to that uh, in, in a second. But I want to talk about, uh, you, you know, they lose against Chechia 5-2 in the opener on Boxing Day. Canada, I'm speaking of. And they got some shaky goaltending, and it you see the, the people bring it up again. Why does this country struggle or feel like it struggles to produce high-end goaltenders? And, uh, you know, even when we were looking and kind of projecting like Team Canada's roster at the last Olympic Games, you're like, all of a sudden you're like, I think Mackenzie Blackwood might be 
Yeah, in the mix. Like, what's your theory? You go down. That, that's You're doing yeah. the Canadian Olympic team. You go down, you you put the forward lines together. You're like, I got Nathan McKinnon on the third line. Oh, we're going to run. Oh, look at this defense. I got the, you know, look look at the, this is going to be, we're absolutely going to destroy everyone. And then you're like, I think I have Darcy Kemper and Jordan Binnington as my two goalies. That <laughs> that's can't what I'm be saying. right. There's no way that. Because you remember when it used to be like, oh, Patrick Waugh says he's not going to the Olympics. I guess we'll have to make do with uh, Belfour and Broder and Curtis Joseph. Yep. Like it, it is uh, it's bizarre. And I don't know why it is. I don't know enough about development. I, I know that, you know, I remember there was uh, in, back in the in the late 90s, right, when Canada kind of went through its our, our little crisis where we lost the World Cup to the Americans and then we didn't medal in the Olympics. And, and it was like the, the, the whole, the whole skill development is, is wrong. We're doing, you know, we're too much practice, not enough games, you know, too much emphasis on physicality and all of that. And there was sort of a, a soul searching thing. I, I don't know. Is there the equivalent of that in, uh, in, in, in just goaltending, like position specific is it, I mean, I'm always the sort of guy where a lot of times stuff like this, my default is to say it could just be coincidence. You know, maybe we just had a lot of great goalies a generation ago and we just don't have, you know, maybe it doesn't mean anything, but it's, it feels like this has been going on for a while now. Um, and, uh, and, and we're seeing the, the, the European, like Sweden and Finland continue to produce great goaltenders. You're starting to see the Russians come along now. You know, that, that had always been kind of their weakness as well is that they didn't, they didn't produce elite goaltenders. And now, you, you know, you look around the NHL now, plus guys on the way, um, it's, uh, and, 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 and the Americans as well have, have been very good at producing goaltenders, which is maybe the most interesting because tip, you know, the American development program is, is typically the most similar to how we think of things being done in Canada. Um, it's tough, huh? Eh? Yeah. But like, remember it was about 10 years ago. The Canadian Hockey League said we're not taking European goalies. We're gonna do, right. because they saw this, right? They saw this the, ten years ago. Don Cherry was you know, yeah. <laughs> at the and forefront of that. Yeah, but it didn't do anything. Like no. here we are in 2022, and we didn't create this great. So here's my here's my question for you. Okay, when is the last time? Uh, if you think about hockey in Canada, the one area that feels like it pumps out the most players of high end talent is the GTA, like the greater Toronto area, right? Like you got a high-end development program there. You think of the Steven Stamkos and the Johnny Tavares and all these, these guys that come from there, right? Jason Spezza, all these guys have come from there. When's the last time we had a blue-chip elite goalie prospect from the GTA? Boy. Like a, wow, I can't believe this guy. Like when? I can't I, think of one. I mean, is 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 Biddington from... That area, he, I think, but, I think but he is, he but he wasn't a great like prospect. A, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was an ECHL like, guy. I mean, yes. part of it though is like, there's not that many great goaltending prospects to start with, and that that's where this gets a little, a little bit interesting as well. Is you know, we like who's the Connor Bedard of goaltending? Like, there, there really has never been one. I mean, you, you, maybe you could go back to like a Mark Andre Fleury being the first overall pick, but even then, that it, it wasn't. Uh, viewed quite that way. Um, you know, we see the goaltenders are typically not high draft picks. You you see maybe one a year go in the first round, and it takes a while. Uh, you know, Connor Bernard is going to get drafted this year. He's going to step in and be a star in this league at 18. 
Um, defensemen typically, you know, you, maybe it takes them a year or two to to get in there, but we get the you know the Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, Rasmus Dallin, like young cohort of defensemen are dominating. Um, goaltenders, a lot of goaltenders don't even make the league till 25, 26 years old. And, and, and the reason that, that this is interesting to the, to the topic is, uh, you know, if, if we were not producing elite forwards, you'd focus on the, on the kids programs. You'd say, what are we not, we're not, we're not producing 18 year old superstars. What, what are we doing wrong at 12 years old or 10 or eight that, that we're not developing these guys with goaltending, you know, maybe that's part of it, but also, you know, what are we doing as these guys go from being drafted at 18 and during that five or six or seven year window where, you know, we don't see them come in. I, I mean, Carter Hart, maybe you would say was a guy that was considered an elite goaltending, you know, can't miss guy. And, and, and even he was, I believe, second round pick, yeah. um, you know, he might be the last one and, and hasn't completely worked out that way. Although he's, he's been better this year. Um, I don't know. It, it would it would make for a fascinating deep dive somewhere to to figure out like what is happening, um, and and why is it that, you know, is it is it maybe happening between that age of twenty and twenty five? How many times do you see some European goaltender gets picked, your team picks him, you kind of forget about it, and then five years later you're like, oh yeah, that's right, I remember that guy. Oh yeah, he might be ready to come over now, and he comes over and he looks fantastic. Um, you know what's what's happening in. In that process where it's, you know, quasi development, quasi just experience, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to know. And I wish I did know. You know what? And, and before we bring our favorite goalie uh, into this segment. Uh, Alan Bester's on the show? Alan Bester. Wow. I mean, it's actually Ken Reagan. Oh, okay. had to, to decide between the two. Good. No, uh, we're going to bring Jesse Granger on here in a second. You know, I, I just said to you, like, hey, when's the last time we had a great goalie prospect from the GTA, right? Like, I think that's a legitimate question. Like, like mm-hmm. that's such a that area pumps out so many high end players. You would think at some point, uh, in theory, you'd have a great goalie. So I just looked this up real quick, and so since the year two thousand, there have only been three goalies taken in the first round from the province of Ontario. Like these are goalies that are kind of born in Ontario. And none of them really panned out. There was Adam Monroe, who was taken by Chicago in 2001. He played 17 games okay. in the in, in, in the NHL. There was Mark Vizentine, who was taken by Arizona in 2010. He played one game. And then there's Malcolm Subban, who was mm-hmm. taken by Boston in the first round. And yeah, okay, has he played some games in the NHL? Sure, but I don't think he has lived up to the you know, first round billing. That's it. From the province of Ontario in the last 20 years, there have been three guys taken in the first round. It's wow. That's kind of weird. Yeah. And uh, that is, that's, that's, that's interesting. So it's all classic Vancouver guys. So it's all Ontario's fault. It's all Toronto's fault. He got there. Okay. I get it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, like I said, we're going to bring in our uh, our favorite goalie and no, it's not Alan Bester. Have you ever, by the way, Sean, have you ever, have you ever spoken to Alan Bester at any point? Like meet Alan Bester? No. Anything like that? I have not. Never. I have not. I've spoken, I've yelled at him from the Greys in Maple Leaf Gardens before, but I, I don't think yeah. that counts as a conversation. Okay. Sergio Mameso, right? No, I was there. Yeah. I was at okay. that game. Thanks for bringing up an unpleasant memory. And there we go. It's great. I'm going to sit hey. out the rest of the show. Yeah, well, that's perfect because we got Jesse Granger here. And and look, we were just talking about Canada's inability to produce goaltenders, or just kind of the struggles. It's certainly not a goaltending factory uh, in this country. And I said, hey, let, let's let's bring Granger into the conversation because that is his bread and butter. That's the position that he plays. Uh, he's been playing since a kid. I know you have a great fascination with it. Uh, you've spent a lot of time around Mark Andre Fleury too. So I know I know that you're you're very well versed on this uh, topic. So if I asked you, Jesse Granger, what like why do you think Canada has a hard time producing elite level goalies? What what what's your theory? Yeah, it's it's something that I actually remember when Marc Andre Fleury uh, moved into third place all time and wins. I I talked to him and Marty Brodeur about it about how the top three uh, Brodeur, Waugh, and Fleury were all um, not just Canadian but from Quebec, and they all three or sorry, both of them kind of mentioned. Yeah, it sucks that it doesn't seem to be that way anymore. Um, and they mentioned that the the, the, the sport, the, the country isn't producing as many good goalies. And, and um, they didn't really have a reason for why. But lately, I've been I've been kind of poking around and asking some goalie coaches and asking some goalies. Um, I'm kind of in the early stages of reporting this, but I'm, I'm, I'm reporting on how Russia is, <laughs> is a goalie factory now, basically. I mean, you look at Bobrovsky is obviously the older one of the group, but Vasilevsky, Sorokin... Shesterkin, um, Askarov is the, is the young prospect in Nashville that that everyone thinks is going to be so good. So they've kind of taken over the the reins. And from what I've gathered so far, I think it's a combination of well, first off, Sweden and Finland kind of took over there for a while. And from what I understand, a lot of the Swedish and Finnish goalie coaches, there are quite a few of them that are in Russia training um, Russian goalies when they're young. So Possibly that influence could be helping Russia and and maybe hurting Canada that they're kind of just on their own and they're not really um, I guess diversifying. And then the other thing is this, and I haven't gotten a chance to ask any of these guys Sorokin and and Shosturkin, but I'm going to um, here upcoming, and I'm I'm interested to see what they say. But I think an interesting theory on why maybe some great goalies are coming from over there is they play against grown men at a very young age. And that doesn't happen in North America. Um, in North, whether you're in the U.S. or in Canada, you're playing junior, you're playing major junior, you're playing kids your age, or you're playing college kids your age. Whereas in Sweden and Finland and Russia, a lot of them turn pro very, very young and play in the SHL or the KHL. And they're facing grown men with harder shots, with faster shots that are smarter, that can outthink the goalie better than kids their age. And I wonder if, like you always hear, like iron sharpens iron, I wonder if that has something to do with it. You look at a lot of these goalies coming from North, from, from Europe 
and Asia, I guess if you count Russia, they're they're playing against older competition, and I think that may be a reason why they're they're producing a bunch of goalies. It's gonna, I'm I'm fascinated to see what the goalies say about it. Is there anything for goaltending? Like we were talking a little bit about how uh, Canada. 20, 25 years ago, when they weren't having the international success, there was sort of a crisis as far as how they were developing skaters. And, and it's very easy to imagine a philosophical difference on on a skater. Do you let a guy be a skill guy or do you focus on, no, no, we got to be physical. No, no, we got to play the 200-foot game. The defensemen especially, do you say, no, we need guy, we need traditional guys to clear the front of the net and uh, you know make nice, simple plays versus do you emphasize the skill and the first pass and all of that stuff? Does that exist for goaltending? Because to me, as an outsider, it's you know, goaltending is the simple position. You just stop the puck. But is there, you know, could there be philosophical differences where you would, you know, as as Canada, for example, you could just say, we got to change the way we think about just how we teach this position and what skills and and what components of it we're emphasizing that the you know would would maybe lead you to have more or less success in in producing NHLers. That's a great question. Um, I I haven't talked to enough goalie coaches from other countries to really know, but I don't think the my get my gut would say no that there isn't a philosophical difference. I think when you teach goaltending, a lot of it is geometry. It's box control, and um, basically what that means is the puck. Can only, I mean, the puck can only travel to the net in a straight line. You're controlling the box that, uh, where, where you meet the puck, the puck's line from where it is to the net, where you meet that, you've got to control that box where the puck can reach. And basically, it, it, it's hard to explain on a podcast without the visual, but it's all geometry and angles and, and depth. And I feel like most countries are teaching that in the same way. The one thing I would say is a lot of times in practice, the vast majority of a goalie's time in practice is not being spent working on goalie drills, right? They're, they're just kind of there while the team works on its drills. So I think that how you were just explaining, the way different countries per, uh, build their skaters could also affect the goalies, even if it's not necessarily the way they're, they're, they're building their goalie. It's just the environment that that goalie is in. And when you think about Russia and you think about some of those other European countries, you don't necessarily think about the great def- the greatest defense, right? They they play a fast up and down game. There's not a lot of it's not hard checking, chipping it into the corners. There's a lot of offense, and I wonder if maybe these goalies are seeing a lot of high end offensive plays in practice every day because their their team isn't working on defense as much, and maybe that helps them when they come over to North America to to compare them to maybe some goalies that aren't facing as high danger of chances because their teams are practicing defense more. I, that's, I mean, this is just me trying to read between the lines, but mm-hmm. um, I think that may play a factor. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And you know what? I think there's something like, it's, I look forward to, you know, uh, you know, diving into the, 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 the Russian angle, as you said, cause it just feel like they're a factory right now. Um, and why is that? It's, it, it, it's fascinating. Like if Canada played, Sean and I were talking about this earlier. If you had a one, if one game to play tonight for Canada everything's on the line boy you're sitting there thinking man i maybe it's bennington or kemper because they've won stanley cups but and maybe it's carter hart because he's got the most kind of i don't know dynamic feel to him or what but but you don't have that feeling that you did 20 years ago where it's ah it's patty Waugh or bordeaux or whatever right like it's right it's wild it's wild. like the, if we right. best on best right now i don't know who's 
who's taking the blue paint for Canada. Meanwhile, I think every country in the world would take Russia's number three, right? I mean, yes. it would be Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, Sorokin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sorokin, Sorokin might be the third guy. <laughs> he's, and right yep. now, he's the best goalie in the NHL. Fascinating. Yeah. No, that's, uh, hey, look, it's, uh, it, 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 I think a lot of Canadian fans, even though you, you know, Canada would have McDavid and McCarr, I think there'd be a lot of nervousness going into a best on best tournament. Like, 100%. Even, yeah. Yeah. Even with those guys. Hey, uh, you know, Jesse, we wanted to talk to you about, um, and again, just to further prove this is a Thursday podcast that we're doing on December the 29th, we're going to talk a little bit about that unhinged Detroit Pittsburgh game from Wednesday night. And, Pittsburgh's up 4-0. After the first period, they're up 4-0. And you're thinking, okay, they're going to cruise to an easy victory uh, against the Red Wings at um, at, uh, at at home too, right? Like that game's on home ice at PPG Paints. And the Red Wings kind of chip away. They get a couple goals in the second. And then still, there's only five minutes left, I think, in the in the third. Pittsburgh's still up by, by two. Detroit scores a pair to tie it. Jake Wallman with the uh, the fun overtime winner and the celebration. And all of a sudden, the Pittsburgh Penguins blow a four-goal lead on home ice. And there's some there's some trends that we can kind of look at from that game, aren't there? Yeah. So, I mean, the game was fun to watch. I immediately after it, I thought, it feels like this is happening way more this year than it has in years past. So um, I started digging into the numbers and I started, I, I first started looking at just Teams' records after when when trailing going into the third period, and there those wins are up a little bit. Teams are winning a little more um, when trailing after two periods this year. So far, their points teams' points percentage is one nine three. They have sixty four wins, three hundred and eighteen losses, and thirty two overtime losses. So one nine three, which is the highest it's been in four years, but I kind of expected this to, I, I expected to go on and say, wow, it hasn't, teams haven't come back in the third period this many times since 1996. That's not the case at all. Um, just in 2019-20, it was 199 for the whole season, so higher than it is right now, um, which I thought was a little surprising. Are, did, did Am I alone in this, or did you guys feel like there would be more third period comebacks so far this season than, than in years past? It definitely, yeah, it, it, it feels that way. Um, and, uh, I, I, I guess I'm maybe a little bit surprised, um, cause yeah, it does feel like it, we're getting more of, especially the big comebacks, right? Like the, 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 the three goal and more. Cause, cause I remember there was a time where even, even two goals or, you know, if you were trailing even one goal heading into the third period, it was, it was done it felt like during the dead puck era that was one of the things that really contributed to why that era was was just no fun because i mean you'd you know you'd sit down your team would be down two nothing you know four minutes into the game and the little thing would pop up on the screen like you know teams records is one in nine thousand and oh when they're (laughs) down two goals and you're like i guess i can turn this off there's no point watching anymore and that feels like it's changed, which has been a great change. That's been absolutely huge for the NHL as far as entertainment, that you don't feel like these games are over uh, as soon as uh, one team gets a lead. Um, and and in some of these cases, no lead feels safe even until you get, get well into a game. So you're actually spot on, Sean, because the next stat I looked at is three-plus goal comebacks. So comebacks of three or more goals, and there have already been 10 this season. Um, we're about 42% of the way through the season. Um, if you look at most teams games played, so 
With 10 already this year, that would put you on pace for about 24 by the end of the season, which would be the, I, I went back pretty far. It'd be the most, as far back as I could go. Um, it's, they're, they're on pace to have more three-plus goal comebacks than they have in a very, very long time. If you just look at the last 10 years, um, there have been an average of 15 per season over the last 10 years, 15 three-plus goal comebacks, and they've already got 10, and we're not even at the halfway point. So it's definitely happening. <laughs> one funny one. In 2012-2013, there were five in the entire <sighs> season. And there have already been double that, um, and we're but that just, but that was the shortened even. season, was it not? But yes, still, yes, it was. five in but, a season is just like oh my but, goodness. I mean, that's yeah, it just but, felt. But and, still, yeah, exactly. and we, I mean, geez, that's that's like a good week for the Canucks now. Five uh, <laughs> right. blowing big the, leads. I mean, the Vancouver Canucks are inflating this stat big yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, on there. Yeah, what if we remove the Canucks? From the equation, all of a sudden we're at a record low. It's like it's like taking Wayne Gretzky out of your hockey pool in the eighties. You gotta you gotta make it fair here. Yeah, man, that's uh, that. Yeah, it's it's. But but that's what what I like about the explosion of offense this season is that it does make it feel like a, a two or a multi goal lead doesn't feel insurma- insurmountable. Like and like Sean was saying, they're used to always. And I, I, for whatever reason, I remember it was the Dallas Stars under Ken Hitchcock, where it was like. Just forget it. The game is over. Like if they're leading after two periods, like it's like just shut the TV off. It's over. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, nobody's coming back on Dallas under Ken Hitchcock, and it doesn't doesn't feel that way right now. And it's 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 fun. The other thing yeah. I want to and, ask, and, guys, and we should oh, point out. I mean, for yeah. for fans that are younger who don't remember that era, it wasn't like you know it was it was insurmountable because the team that was up two goals was going to go out and get a third goal. No. Uh, it was just shut it down. I mean, you, you were, you were sitting there going, I could turn the game off cause I'm not going to miss anything interesting. Like there is just nothing is going to happen for the next 40 minutes of this game. Uh, as one team just, just bleeds the life out of a two nothing lead. Um, the, the other thing I want to ask you guys, as we wrap this up here with, uh, with Granger things, um, do you guys find that like, so Ottawa played their first shootout game of the year. On Tuesday against Boston, they hadn't, they didn't have a single shootout all year, and I kind of feel like, and again, we'd have to look up the numbers on this, but I feel like we're seeing fewer shootouts this year too, on top of everything else, or and maybe that's just me anecdotally because I'm cover Ottawa and they haven't, but it just feels like I'm not seeing as many shootouts. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean Vegas has right been to that? a bunch, or is maybe that... I'm the opposite because Vegas has been to quite a few. Um, it seems like they can't score in overtime, so it, they go to shoot out every time it's a tie at the end of regulation. But yeah, there's there's a handful of teams pumping it up. Like you look at the, the there is no team in the metro that has had more than two shootouts this year. Um, that's uh, but then you you do get into uh, Vegas and L.A. Yeah, it's the Pacific that's that's doing them all. Geez, we already let you guys Maybe. start late. You gotta hey. you gotta drag these things on. We're, yeah, yeah, we're trying on. to get to the 2 a.m. mark over there where you Holy guys are. Holy smokes, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, is that is that the story? They're, they're just all the Pacific Division teams are pumping up the... Uh, there's there's, the there's definitely more in the West. The the Metro and, and even the Atlantic is... The Atlantic's got Boston's had five, Montreal's had four, and everyone else is is one or two. Um, Detroit's had, had three now, but it's it, it definitely seems to be an East-West thing, and there are a handful of teams. It's uh, Toronto, New Jersey, Winnipeg, still in the running for the uh, the no shootout season. So let's uh, let's all root for those teams now, to uh, has anybody to, to live the dream? Has any team in the shootout era had a season with no shootouts? 
You know what? That's a good question. I feel like it has happened, but uh, let me. Uh, that feels like a uh, potential storylines to watch in the second half of the year. Down goes Brown. It's like it's. I mean, you almost don't for. want to talk about it, right? It's it's, right, it's you're like taking a no hitter into <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, late it, into the late into the game. In terms of the East West split, do you think it might be like I, I, when I think of the East, I think of there are some like more high skilled teams: Boston, Carolina, Toronto, New Jersey, even like Pittsburgh, Tampa, Washington. Whereas in the West, Colorado's injured. Um, they don't have the same firepower that they normally do. Um, the, the top teams in the West are like more defensive teams, Dallas and LA and Vegas, even Seattle plays really hard for checking game. I wonder if those teams aren't built to score in three on three overtime as easily as some of the top teams in the East. And maybe that's why the split is, is like, it seems like the East teams are finishing their games in overtime. I don't know. Could be, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Cause a lot of times you, you think of it almost as a, uh, um, it may be more of a, 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 a strategic thing, right? Like, I mean, you would expect, right. uh, you know, the, the the John Tortorellas of the world are good at getting you into overtime, right. get that extra point. And then uh, from there, uh, whether you actually uh, get to the shootout or not. Yeah, no, I, it's it's interesting. And I'm looking it up, Ian, and I don't, it, it looks to me like there is, uh, no, I don't see anyone who has gone the whole year. Oh, the Edmonton Oilers, 2020-21. The again, Oilers are season. the only team, uh, short, somewhat shortened. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Are yeah. the only team to make it through an entire season in the shootout era with no shootouts, uh, with the exception, obviously, of the three teams that are are currently uh, um, currently in progress so, still. So, so uh, yeah, you know, maybe that's something to keep an eye on. Once we pass the 56 game mark of the season, because that Edmonton got to 56 without mm-hmm. a shootout. Maybe that's a thing to keep an eye on. Toronto, Winnipeg, and who was the other team you said? Toronto, Winnipeg, uh, so in, in New Jersey, and so, New Jersey uh, could be interesting. And New, Jer- New Jersey's fun to watch in overtime. Winnipeg's got firepower, and the Leafs. They, I mean, they get scored on fifteen seconds into every overtime. So that's that's their secret Dude. superpower there. So they they there might have, they might have the best shot of anyone. Yeah, I expect the same amount of coverage for this streak as uh, the Mitch Marner points. Oh. We're we're going to be all over it. It's absolutely going to be a monster. Uh, uh, monster coverage down the stretch. Man, there you go. All right, it's a little segment we like to call Granger Things, brought to you by our friends at BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with The Athletic. Jesse Granger, as always, man, thanks for doing this. Happy New Year, man. Like, uh, We'll get you again in, uh, in in the first week of 2023, but uh, it's been a great year with you, and uh, I hope you have a great New Year's Eve uh, this, uh, this weekend. Awesome. Happy New Year's, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. You too, buddy. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right. Great stuff with Jesse Granger, as always. And we're going to shift over to the mailbag. And a reminder, you can reach us uh, via email, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Or we love to hear your voice, a voicemail, 845-445-8459. And guess what? We have not one but two of voicemails uh, this week. Let's start with Chris in Vegas. And... uh, Chris is going to give us some superpowers here, Sean. So let's have a listen to Chris in Vegas. Hey, guys, this is Chris in Vegas. This is in response to Pierre Lebron's If I Were a Commissioner for a Day column. But for you guys, instead of being commissioner for a day, I'm making you the hockey gods. That's right, the never seen but always believed in spiritual entities responsible for every team's woes, incredible bad luck, and bizarre things that keep us from winning. Pick a random regular season night in the NHL where there are 12 to 15 games being played. Whenever and whatever stakes you want, mid-seeing meaningless or last week of the season with the playoffs on the line. Who's getting goalied by a third string call-up from the AHL despite 75 shots on goal? What controversial play are you going to have missed that leads to a winning goal? What player will you pick on to have an absolute brain fart and cost his team? And is hockey god down goes Brown just going to give every game five offside challenges just to prove his point? Go a little nuts and have some fun with this. Thanks. All right. I got to tell you, first of all, Sean, I, I feel like Chris needs his own podcast. Um, yeah. That was great. Great delivery. Yeah, great, Very great premise. Polished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Polished. Um, and, and I like it. Look, and, but he's he's telling you, listen, I know Down Goes Brown is just going to do something he's got Toronto me related here. He's yeah. got me picked. It's, that, like he he, he's, me. It's, it's absolutely, and it's not just Toronto. It's, it's the fact that I would use these powers for chaos and to prove points um, more so than... Uh, I mean, look, we all want we want to see Connor McDavid get ten points. Uh, we want to we want to see a shootout go to uh, you know twenty rounds deep, uh, fun stuff like that. But yeah, no, I he's he's got me on the offside review. I would definitely, in fact, I would have loved to have seen um, last week when when Alexander Ovechkin was chasing history. Let him score an an amazing highlight reel goal for to pass Gordy Howe, yeah. and then. Have it have it reviewed on a fifteen minute review and uh, and yeah. taken off the board. Hopefully that would be something that would be dumb enough that we would actually um, you know maybe fix something. I'd also by the same token, I would love to see a game where two teams in the same division fighting for a playoff spot, tied with ten or fifteen minutes left in the third period, and just shut it down completely. Just you know Simpson soccer mode where it's just uh you know just batting the puck around and neutralize and then have the coach come at the end and go yeah of course man the point system incentivizes us to get to overtime so we're going to get to overtime and that's that's why we didn't even try to score in the third period really embarrass the league with some of these stupid rules i i think that's uh that's what i would be looking for which is why it's good that i don't have these powers because i i can't be trusted to use them for good yeah i you you're going to waste them on like you know a lot of snark here. You got a lot of. I'm not wasting them. I'm making an yeah. investment. You know what? Yeah. Like somebody scoring six goals would be cool, but it's going to be forgotten in a couple of years. Whereas this is, I'm I'm laying the foundation to get rid of some very dumb stuff in this league, um, and I'm I'm sacrificing my own entertainment value for you, for you guys out there, uh, to get rid of some of this, uh, some of these idiotic rules. You know, forget Simpsons soccer mode. All you would need is remember when Chris Pronger wouldn't take the puck out of his own zone. Yeah. against Guy Boucher's that's it. Lightning. That's what I'm looking. The, that's the, that's the, the one three one. Let's let's see it happen. Oh man, I thought you were going to do something with puck over glass. That you know, that's as, another one. You know, that's a hockey. One. You're a hockey god. You can do one thing. Um, 
yep. puck, yep. puck over Maybe. glass. Let's do that. Yeah, no, that that could that that could be a real good one too. We could we could do them all. I can. I mean, geez, I I I, I might need more than one night. I might run out of games to uh, conduct my my uh, mad scientist experiments on just to 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 constantly just to prove points to Gary Bettman and friends. You know, if I could do one thing right now as a hockey god, I kind of I really feel for the the people of Buffalo. And mm-hmm. that snowstorm that just, I mean, it, I, I couldn't, and, and look, we're, we're, I'm speaking as a Canadian. I couldn't believe the amount of snow that fell in Buffalo. And, mm-hmm. I, and I see that the, the anger that that franchise has put there, like the fan base has just been, just been through so much. That, that game. If I had the one wish, wouldn't, man, wouldn't you love to see the Buffalo Sabres with Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dahlin? Like they, they seem like a fun likable group wouldn't you love to just sprinkle a little just a touch of fairy dust on them to go on so i was gonna say like car- what the, magic carpet ride and it's what magic the are we wishing for for sabers fans are we gonna wish that like i don't know some career fourth liner magically transforms into the most <laughs> yeah. dynamic and it's entertaining player in the entire yeah. league it just becomes unstoppable uh man we're gonna we're gonna find out something happened there. I don't know. I want to know what like magic elixir some uh, some fan Somebody brewed up and slipped to Dave Thompson. Yeah, the, yeah. This is the, the, there's gonna be a superhero origin story somewhere. We're gonna find out about with these guys. Okay, so that's anyway. That's what we would do with our superpowers. I'd love to hear uh, what our, our listeners uh, would do. Again, uh, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com If you want to tell us what you would do superpower wise, or if you were the hockey gods. Uh, we got another call here. This one is an unknown caller from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, I, it's a very simple question. Uh, I'm not going to say that this caller should have a podcast like Chris in Vegas, because Chris in Vegas was you know, kind of long and detailed. This is short and to the point. Here's the unknown caller from Ann Arbor. At this point, with all the moves that Ken Holland has made incorrectly, who leaves Edmonton first? Ken Holland or Connor McDavid? Love the show, guys. Take it easy. All right. Yeah, very simple. Look, Connor McDavid is signed through the 2026 season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 2025, 2026. Connor McDavid, that's the last year of his deal. Could theoretically be a free agent summer of 2026. Uh, his question is, who who leaves Edmonton first, Ken Holland or Connor McDavid? Now, to me, it, the, the answer would simply be Ken Holland, would it not? Like, yeah. I, I, like, uh, well, the only thing that gives me pause here is... Uh, you know, if the question is who leaves who leaves Edmonton first versus is Ken Holland still the GM when Connor McDavid leaves? Because here's the thing: Ken Holland has been around forever. He's got the cup rings. He's he's kind of a made man as as far as the 200 hockey men. Um, and I think that the 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 scenario that is more likely to play out rather than Ken Holland gets fired in Edmonton is Ken Holland gets nudged upstairs. He becomes the president. He becomes whatever else it is. And somebody else comes in as the GM. So I would be very, put it this way. If, if at any point Connor McDavid gives you any indication at all that it's, it's him or the GM. And I got all the respect in the world for Ken Holland. Like you, you don't even wait till that sentence is out of his mouth to make the decision. It's, you know, (laughs) yes, sir, Mr. McDavid, you will never have to see Ken Holland again. Don't worry about it. We will take care of it. Uh, is there anything else we can do for you? I, I, I still don't think, it, look, as much as every other fan base loves to dream about Connor McDavid leaving Edmonton, uh, and why wouldn't we? He's he's uh, such a phenomenal talent. I mean, you, you can't help but dream of him showing up on, on your team somehow, some way. Um, 
it's unlikely. Uh, it's just, it, it, it certainly doesn't really seem in his nature to force his way out. It, it's, that's really not a thing that happens in the NHL to the extent that it used to. It used to happen all the time. Um, but uh, um, post, post-lockout post world really, really isn't a thing. Uh, you know, I, I think by far the most likely scenario is in, in 2025, the year before his contract ends, he signs a great big extension and continues on in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, that that's just kind of the nature of most star players in this league. And, uh, you know, it, maybe he throws us a curveball, but uh, it, it is as far as the most likely scenario, it's it to, it remains that Connor McDavid will do the same thing that Mario Lemieux and Steve Eiserman and Joe Sackick and a whole bunch of other great players did, which is play his whole career for for one team and and not go anywhere. Yeah, and Mike Badano and Daniel Alfredson. And- yeah, well, uh, yeah. Okay. No, maybe not so much. Right. Not so much. Fair okay, uh, back to the emails. Connor McDavid to Detroit. Wow, breaking yeah. news from Ian Mendez. That's, there we go. That's interesting. That's, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, back to the uh, – we'll, we'll, we'll do a couple of emails here. Uh, Carrie writes into the show, and last week we were talking about – because I was uh, – you know, and, and look, it turned out not to come to fruition. I said, look, uh, I got to cover the game. Alex Ovechkin has a chance to tie Gordie Howe in Ottawa. It didn't happen that night. He did it the next night against Winnipeg. But uh, I said, have you ever just as a fan randomly been to a game and something cool happened or some historic uh, event or milestone? How about this uh, email from Kerry who writes in to the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. Kerry says, I've been lucky to be a hockey fan my entire life. As a child, my dad had front row tickets. They were four bucks each uh, at Madison Square Garden to watch the Rangers. My first game ever, I saw uh, Willie O'Ree play uh, with the Boston Bruins. 1962, I saw Gordie Howe score his 500th career goal. That same season, I saw Bobby Hull score number 50, and I believe that was only the second time it was ever done in NHL history. I later converted to being a Devils fan. I was there when Patrick Sundstrom scored eight points in a single playoff game in the 88 playoffs. I was there for the infamous yellow jersey, uh, yellow Sunday, no ref game. I most recently attended Marty Brodeur's 552nd career win. Patrick Eliash breaking franchise scoring record on the same day. I also saw Ovi score his 700th career goal. That's from Kerry. Hey, Sean, remind me, you and I need to catch a game with Kerry. Yeah, at some I, point. Kerry, uh, uh, Kerry Gump here is just the uh, uh, <laughs> just Gump, just yes. bumbling their way through history, is showing up on every. Yeah, like let's this this is a promotional opportunity for some NHL teams out there. Bring Kerry to the game. Guaranteed history night. Kerry will be in in attendance, uh, and you know something cool is going to happen. I would I would make that happen. One more from Grant, who says, uh, "Look, recently uh, Alex Ovechkin uh, just passed uh, Ray Bork by getting his six thousand two hundred and tenth shot on goal. So now Alex Ovechkin, the all time shot leader, passing Raymond Bork. Grant says, "Look, Bork famously ho- held the record." Is there a reason why he had so many shots? I mean, was Boston just uh, running an exceptionally point uh, shot heavy offense? Like, how can you guys explain Ray Bork's shot record that he had until last week? That's from Grant. It's it's that Ray Bork was phenomenal player. Ray Bork was truly. Uh, I I don't even know how it's possible to say this given the accolades that that Ray Bork accumulated in his career. But Ray Bork is now underrated. Historically, I am <laughs> adamant on this. Um, and in fact, 
we're in the process of doing our, our NHL 99 series. I've got Ray Bork uh, coming up, uh, and, and I get to write about this. Um, he was just such a phenomenal player for such a long time. And, um, and, and, you know, he was fantastic. He, he famously had the, uh, an incredibly accurate shot, um, yep. went four for four in the, uh, in, in the skills competition. Um, and so, you know, they fed him a lot. It wasn't like there, there was, you know, Boston was running some sort of unique offense where, where everything was going through him above and beyond the fact that he was just the, the best player on the ice virtually every single night. Um, and he always had the puck. Uh, even back when we didn't uh, you know, fully appreciate that, you know, this was before the possession era where, uh, you know, we didn't think of the game that way, but he, he always had the puck because he was the best player. Um, and, and also back then defenseman shooting and, you know, the slap shot from the point was much more of a, um, of a play for every team than it is, uh, than it is these days where it's more of a rarity. Um, and, and it could work. You know, the little tiny goalies of that era, you could actually score them from from a distance there. So it was a perfect storm of all sorts of things. But no, it, it wasn't some some weird strategic thing. It was just that this guy was absolutely amazing. Uh, he couldn't get the puck away from him. And, uh, you know, whenever he did get the puck, he didn't just get it at the net. He got it on the net. Uh, you know, And, and two more uh, follow-up points there uh, on Ray Bork. Ovechkin just passed him for the all-time shot record most shots ever in a career but there's two records that ray bork has shot related that i don't think will be broken one is 19 shots in a single game the, yeah. the night you, you, you talk about we talked about little, that one yeah. the, the, tiny one goalies point, yeah. of the 90s uh-huh. uh, he had 19 shots on ron tugnut the night tugnut made 70 saves for quebec bork had 19 on his own in mm-hmm. one game that i don't think will be broken so just imagine one player has 20 shots on goal in a game that i just don't see it happening and yep. then the other the other record that Borg, uh, Borg has shot related, he holds the consecutive game streak uh, for uh, most games in a row with a shot on goal, which is three hundred and sixty games wow. in a row. And I, I Ovechkin, I think at one point in his career got to like three hundred and ten or three hundred fifteen, and then had a game that was obviously didn't have a shot, and then that, the, the the clock starts bump. at zero again. What a bump! And, <laughs> 360 games in a row with a shot on goal for a defenseman. Uh, it's, and so I, I just don't know that that'll be broken. If Ovechkin didn't break it or come close to it, I don't, I don't know how somebody else does, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know that we'll ever see anyone who shoots like Ovechkin again. I mean, it really is. When, when you're talking about shot, it's, it's Bork, it's Ovechkin, and it's Phil Esposito are the three guys where, and, and maybe we'll see it again at some point, but it's, it's hard to imagine in today's NHL, uh, you know, the fact that Ovechkin's doing it is phenomenal. It's hard to imagine someone else coming along and being able to put up numbers like that. Wrapping it up like we always do with a little This Week in Hockey History. And uh, today, December the 29th, uh, is the anniversary of the... I, I, I was intrigued by this, and I did a little bit of research on this. December 29th, 1955. This was the first time ever in an NHL game. It was at the uh, the old Montreal Forum. The Habs and Leafs were playing. First time ever that the referees in an NHL game, Sean, wore black and white striped jerseys. Before yeah. that. So I didn't know this, okay? So I looked this up because I had seen, you know, old pictures or whatever. But before that, NHL referees wore a cream-colored, like, sweater. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, a, but... Underneath it, for many years, was a shirt and tie. It was yes. a, 
they and weren't we need high. to bring that back, right? Yes. yes. So here's here's my question. We see NHL teams do throwback jerseys, reverse retros. Would you not be interested in a game in which NHL referees went old school? Obviously, you could update the, you know, you don't have to wear probably the heavy wool that they wore like in the 1930s. Yes, you do. You absolutely you do? do. We're yeah, going you need to full see, old school. You and see I'll tell West you right Macaulay's now. dripping sweat. Look, man, we we started off talking about, uh, you know, how uh, Sheldon Keith getting fined. Uh, it, it, I'm just saying, Wes McCauley, guys, you guys wouldn't be getting yelled at if you wore a tie to the games. You maybe get a little bit more respect. Yes. If you dressed for the respect, you know, you got to really dress for the job you want. Exactly. Yeah. I think this is it. And, you know, even let's let's put a little uh, uh, little bowler uh, hat on some of these guys. I feel like yes. that may have been a look for some of these refs. Let's let's do it. Maybe this is how we get to get these guys back uh, back out there. I let's do it. Reverse retro. For the officials. Right. But like, just like, you know, for like an original six game. So like Chicago's at Boston or something and, and they're like, just old school, one game, put them back so that people can understand like, wow, that's what referees used to look like back in the day. There you go. Yeah. And, and also we have the the short little glass so that the, if they make a call, you don't like the fans could just reach down and throw punches like they did back in the day. Yeah. You know, it's, it'd be great. Be real fun. when you see the footage of the, all the, like people used to throw like rotten tomatoes, like people just used to have, yeah, you know, r- spoiled vegetables with you them just for whatever a few reason. spoiled vegetables in your yeah. pocket just in case, and uh, in yeah, case you I, could absolutely do it. Yeah, this rotten anyway. turnip, this will show you. Um, okay, and one other one, December thirty fourth. We we're talking about New Year's Eve games before December thirty fourth, nineteen seventy five. The Montreal Canadiens, who would go on to win the Stanley Cup that year played the Soviet Red Army at the Montreal Forum December 31st, New Year's Eve. They played to a 3-3 tie in a game in which, if you talk to people of a certain generation, like when I was growing up, I, I was too young, I wasn't born for this, but uh, people would always say that was the greatest hockey game ever played. Mm-hmm. Habs, Red Army, New Year's Eve, 3-3 tie. But here's what I think is interesting. Do you think if analytics were around that they would have just obliterated that game and been like, Ah, oh, the the Red Army got outshot thirty nine to thirteen. Yeah. Like expected goals were this and that. Like people would have taken away and said, "This is this isn't the greatest game of all time. It was just lopsided." Analytics draining the fun out of something in sports? No, how could I can't, it be? I can't imagine. Yeah. So, like, have you ever watched that whole game? Like, have you ever sat the down whole and, game? I don't think so. I think I've watched like like uh, uh, you know the highlights of it because Tretiak uh, w- w- was the guy that put on a one man show. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you do you think that that could like Really, like people would always say, right, that that was the greatest game ever played. Yeah, you always that was the the answer that would that would come out. And it, you know, look, it was obviously a, a phenomenal matchup. The the Montreal Canadiens about to embark on a dynasty, and and you had the the element of the unknown, and uh, you know, to do it on New Year's Eve and everything. It 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 really was fantastic. And uh, you know, as it, it's you know, what's fascinating is it's you know, you talk about greatest game ever. I mean, there there have been some great games played in. November in the regular season and nobody remembers them. This was a game that was both completely meaningless as far as any standings or, you know, anything. Uh, it was an exhibition game and yet meant everything because it was these, these two worlds kind of crossing over, uh, in, in a game. It was, it was fantastic. The only downside of this game is that not only was it all considered one of the greatest games ever, um, but also for the longest time, if if you ever had the audacity to put your hand up and say, you know, I don't really like that there's so many ties in the NHL. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. 
somebody would always come roaring, oh, you don't like ties? Well, the greatest game ever was a tie. And you're sitting there going, well, yeah, maybe that's the exception that proves the rule. Because I'm talking about like, you know, I just saw Hartford tie New Jersey 2-2 and it wasn't uh, wasn't all that entertaining. But uh, this this was the go-to for the very old school pro-tie brigade. Probably still is to this day. Okay, was there, okay, and I'm asking this legitimately, I have no idea. Was there overtime in that? Not if the they Habs. were playing NHL rules, because overtime, they have there overtime, was no overtime right? back then. It didn't come back till 83, so I, I'm going to I'm gonna assume there was no overtime. It was just 60 minutes, and, uh, and yeah. that's that. Yeah, I, like, because it was an exhibition, you would have, maybe they would have said to each other, like, hey, maybe we need to play this out. Yeah, right? uh, I mean, you 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 would have thought, but I mean, overtime wasn't real. I, I don't know what the rules would have been in Russia at the time, but uh, you know, famously, when at the at the Summit Series, there was no overtime. There there were right. ties, and it was you know sixty minutes. And if Paul Henderson hadn't scored, the the Soviets were going to claim victory uh, in in Game Eight there. So I, I would imagine it would have been the same uh, the same rules because you know at that point. Not only was there no overtime in the NHL, but uh, you know, in in the regular season, that there hadn't been in decades. So it it maybe um, would have uh, you would have loved to have thought that they would have said, "Hey, let's let's just go sudden death." But uh, clearly, clearly not. All right, hey, listen, we'll leave it there. And, and look, we came into this saying, "Look, there's nothing to talk about on this week between Christmas and New Year." And look, we just knocked off uh, an hour and change, and it, uh, it the is. hour just flew by. So that was great. Listen. I want to thank our listeners for, uh, you know, sticking with us all year here in 2022. We had a lot of fun uh, on the Athletic Hockey Show. And, uh, you know, what, what, you, you got big plans for New Year's Eve or what? Absolutely Yourself. not. No, I'm going to be looking are they for playing a na- at night. Now that you you've told me that there's home, hockey, I'm going to yeah, be, yeah, be sitting, at home. sitting there and, uh, and and watching the game and probably falling asleep at about 1030. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right. We'll we'll, uh, we'll leave it there, and I want to thank everybody for listening. Yeah, all all year long, we wish all of our listeners here on the Athletic Hockey Show uh, wish you a happy new year. We'll get you again on the other side of the calendar. And as always, you can email us. Uh, Your questions to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.